You're allowed to have loose-fitting bootleg jeans and still be a Christian. I'm just going to put that out there. You're, You're just mad You're because allowed. everybody dogs your jeans. You're allowed. You're allowed. I can't believe you just said that. You're allowed. He gets dogged your for his jeans. Your t-shirts are allowed to be a little loose, and you can still be a Christian. You're allowed to wear You don't have to wear a stupid hat. <laughs> You're allowed to wear 17 variations of a black t-shirt that says Canton or Ohio Bro. and bootleg jeans. You're allowed to need you're allowed to need greater than 7 SPF sunscreen. <laughs> All right, you're allowed. This is the absurd journey of three church planners reintroducing familiar ideas in unfamiliar ways. This is the Bless Up podcast. Welcome back. This is the Bless Up Podcast. I'm Rachel. I'm here with Corey and James. And uh, today we're going to open up with the uh, the question of what did you think you would be doing at the age you are right now? So if you were looking back uh, in, in college, in high school, as a little kid, wherever you want to go, what did you think you would be doing at this age? Uh, growing up in Barberton, I had a very comprehensive life plan when I was a preteen in the Boys and Girls Club. I was first going to get signed by Murder, Inc. Records. <laughs> uh, ja Rule was going to somehow find me, and him <laughs> and Irv Gotti were going to sign me. I was also going to get angel wings tattooed on my back. I was going to get a long platinum chain with a uh, diamond guitar, just like Ja Rule. Uh, yeah. I, I was convinced I would be signed to Murder, Inc., and I knew even then that you kind of aged out of rap at, like, 26. So I figured that in my 30s, I would become, like, an executive at Murder, Inc. Records. Little did I know that just a few years from then, when I was a freshman in high school, 50 Cent would kind of destroy Ja Rule's life and, and Murder, Inc. So then it was G-Unit. So then I figured I needed to lift weights and, <laughs> and get into G-Unit somehow and become an artist and then be an executive at G-Unit. Uh, yeah, that or or the St. Lunatics. I was down with Nelly, too. Okay, I'm yeah. a huge Nelly mm-hmm. guy. I was going to say, why did ja, y'all rule? I just love Ja Rule, man. I don't know what it was. He, he was. he was like, he was hard, but he was singing, too. So, like, you didn't want to. Just kind of singing. He was, uh, yeah. <laughs> so I, I figured I could do that too. I could like harmonize and low baritone. Like I figured I could do that too. So I was, yeah, I wanted, I was going to be a rapper. Then I was going to work as an executive for a rap label. I was convinced. Murder Inc. Ja Rule and Ashanti. Ooh, that was a good song. All right, that's fair. That's fair. You can love Ja Rule for that one. So. I listen, I had a very distinct plan. I knew definitively that when I went to college, I was going to go for communications and I was going to focus in communication specifically in broadcasting and journalism. That is precisely what I did. And I knew that while I was at school, I was going to look for internships specifically in radio and TV. That is exactly what I did. Because I was positive that upon graduation from college, I was going down one of two paths. I was either going to be the next Kelly Ripa 
on Live with Regis and Kelly, which then became Live with Kelly and Michael. Loved it. At, like watched every single episode. I actually arranged my class schedule so that I could watch that show. Or I was going to be Aaron Andrews. I was doing one of the two. I was either going, I was either going the ESPN route or I was going the morning talk show route. I was positive that that is what I was going to be doing. And so when I was the age I am now, I'm 34. When I was 34, I was positive that I would be living in somewhere like New York or LA, and I would be on path to be on Good Morning America. One of the th- like that's what I was going to do with my life. This podcast this is the first time I have ever used my broadcasting <laughs> experience <laughs> since I left. And it's only kind college. of relevant. Right? Like, that tiny little board that yes. records this podcast, like. I have so much knowledge in how to wrap cables, how to like mix, how to do it. And this is the first time I have ever come remotely close to doing it. Yeah. Corey, what did you think you would be doing? (laughs) (laughs) I can honestly say that I had no imagination for my 30s. Cause I thought I'd be in heaven. <laughs> hey, at least you thought you'd be in heaven. I, I, I figured I wasn't going when the rapture hit. Corey informed me of this. We were hundred percent serious. We have been t- we have been married for nine years together for what twelve. And this is the first time I've ever heard this. Please tell us. So, uh, okay, let me pull myself together. So I don't know if they like did this consciously or not. But so my my mother and my grandmother uh, would have this like thing that they that they would tell me. Uh, to kind of like calm me down. Like when I was young, uh, I lost, I lost my grandfather, uh, unexpectedly when I was really young. And shortly thereafter, I like developed a super, uh, I wouldn't say it's like irrational, but the way that I would act about it was really irrational, like a really irrational fear of dying. And so, uh, my grandma, and my mother would just tell me that, like, I didn't need to worry about that because Jesus was coming back and he would probably come back before I died. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how, like, that's how they calmed me down. So, like, every every once in a while, I would just ask one of them, like, do you really think Jesus is going to come back before I die? And they would, like, without hesitation, be like, yes, yes, I do think that. I don't think you'll die. I think Jesus is going to come back for you before that. <laughs> And so, like, really, even, like, when I would dream about what I would be doing, I just figured before I hit 30, like, sometime, like, Jesus would be back before that. So, like, like, to be honest, I really, I really, like, had no imagination for this point in my life. I don't know what to do. I had no plan. I thought I'd be in heaven by now. Um, And, I mean, I guess I could, like, play out you know, the dreams that I had for my twenties before I thought Jesus would come back. Like I used to, I used to think that, you know, I was going to be a, a, an NBA superstar, uh, you know, alongside somebody else winning championships for the Lakers. And then sometime whenever I was in my thirties, you know, maybe I would, 
uh, I guess, retire and begin my coaching career somewhere like the University of North Carolina, you know, somewhere like really, you know, where I could build the program, you know. Um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but I mean to be honest, like I didn't, I didn't have any any lofty plans for thirties. Like thirties <laughs> is this is this is brand new territory. I don't, you know, I don't know. You know, in the old apostolic church, they sang a song. And they would say, "Count the count the years as months. Count the months as weeks. Count the weeks as days. Any day, we'll be going home." You know, the rapture. It was. It was real. I, it was real. It was real. This came up. This came up because last night Corey just made a comment in passing, just super flippantly. He said, "He said I'm closer to death than I am to birth." And I said, "Corey, <laughs> you're 31." <laughs> <laughs> I said, "You are you are 31. What do you mean you're closer to death than you are to birth?" And then he paused for a second and he goes, "Actually." I didn't think I'd live this long. And he's being 100% serious <laughs> and recaps his childhood and how he was convinced that Jesus would be back before he actually did anything. And then he never, as an adult, revisited those beliefs. Yeah. It's like it's like I hit 30 and now I'm like looking at my watch like any day now, Jesus, <laughs> any day. Okay, so we clearly all had... Uh, interesting and very different visions of what we would be doing with our lives as adults um, versus what it is that we're doing now and there's something at some point that happened in each one of our lives that sent us down a path that was slightly different than what we had imagined and so let me ask let me ask this what what was the pivotal moment when you had to stop and say, hold on, I'm feeling pulled in this different direction. What is that? So how do you, how do you, when you have that, that moment where your life feels interrupted and you have to, and you have to stop in your tracks and say, what is pulling me in this way and why? What was that like? What was that feeling like? How do you discern what it is that is drawing you in a different direction? For me, it was like very, I can distinctly remember, I knew everything was going to change when I decided to go to Milan. And it wasn't like an easy decision. Uh, I had like my mom breathing down my back because she was really upset that I decided, like I met Jesus and I decided not to go in the direction that I was headed into after high school. She was really upset because I was just, like, chilling at the crib, and then I went to Stark State. And I was having a good time, but I didn't really, yeah, I didn't really know. And it was as if she was waiting for me to do something. And, like, when I came back and told her, yo, I want to go to Malone, like, and I remember, like, I came back from the visit, and I was like, yeah, I want to be a part of the Christian community. That was literally what I said. I was like, yeah, I want to be a part of the Christian community. I want to go to Malone. There was just something about it that I knew everything was going to change. Like, I knew, like, for some reason, I knew, like, the church I was going to, I always knew that that wasn't the place that, like, I was probably supposed to be. But I just, I knew everything was going to change. And I knew that was a pivotal moment where what I wanted and what I felt like the Lord was leading me to do, they were like at a crossroads. Mm. And I knew that I had to like go down that path. 
I can't explain how or why, but I, I knew. Yeah, I can like feel it now, like the same thing. I knew I was supposed to. I just knew I was supposed to go there. I can't like, and now in retrospect, like I can't imagine. Even though while I was there, I didn't want to be there for most of the time. Like I can't imagine like my life another way. Yeah, it's like that verse when Peter looks at Jesus and says, "Where would I go now?" Yeah. Like I've encountered you. I've we've done this. Like where would I go? So you touched on you touched on something that just made me um, think of something else. I want I want to ask you guys, and that is I I know you. I know you both. And so I have seen your journeys, and I have seen the thousand different <laughs> positions that you guys have held, the thousand different jobs that you have done. Um, you guys are pastors now, but I know neither one of you ever sought to be pastors. I know in one of the earlier episodes, James, you said, I'm, I am the pastor of, of what, what happened. happened. Yeah. Um, and so... Tattooed on me somewhere. So let's... <laughs> Let, let's oh, Lord. let's unpack that. Let's dive into that a little bit. Um, how how did you how did you decide that? Let me let's fix this question. Um, how did you discern that you were supposed to be the pastor of what happened? How did you discern that it was pastoring that you should do as opposed to the thousand other roles? that you guys have played and that you have been capable of. How do you figure out where your spot is? I'll answer, I'll answer this way first. And I think this is like a common thing that like I used to hear pastors say, and I used to not understand it, but I understand it completely a thousand percent right now. Like Jim college would always say, and he say it like often, like in staff meetings, he'd say, Hey, if there's anything else you can do, go do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's like, he's like, if there's anything else you can do, go do it. And he's like, but if you can't, then you're supposed to, you're supposed to do this. So I think on the pastoring bit, it's just kind of who I am now versus what I do. Like it's literally not my primary profession anymore, mm-hmm. but it is just, I'm never going to stop like seeking to see light burst into darkness wherever I'm at. And I feel the responsibility to lead people in that. So, yeah, I would say that. But I would say like, man, I think finding one's place is first a journey. I don't think you ever like arrive at saying like, oh, like I've completely found my place. It's a deal where like, we're becoming and we're journeying. And as we're journeying, where we're at, God meets us there. And he gives us assignments in those places and in those spaces. But I don't know if I would say like, you just wake up one morning and you're like, man, I found I found my place. Because every position that we hold, no matter what, like it's not permanent. Mm-hmm. Like it's just not permanent. Like it's as fleeting as we are. As beings yeah so I would say like it's journeying and where we find ourselves in those moments or in seasons and how God's equipped us and what we see in front of us is us being faithful in those moments to to step into that versus saying yeah I could not be the pastor of citizens in two weeks 
Who knows? Like, but I'll still seek to do what God's called me to do wherever in that season. Yeah. I think if I were to like retrack how we got here, it would just be a series of crossroads where like I chose to do what God asked me, what I knew God was asking me to do. I don't, I can, I can with all certainty tell you that I never like the first day we walked through the Martin center. I, I definitely did not think to myself, like, this is a, this is a building that will hold a church. Like, my only thought, honestly, was how quickly can we get it cleaned up so we can start hooping? Yeah, from what I remember, it was the opposite almost. Yes. Like, <laughs> honestly, we were like this. Yeah. Like, we thought it would never be a church. You know, so mm-hmm. I think somebody even said like, yeah, and like somebody could have church in here. And I was like, no, this is not for that. <laughs> when, we bust, when we busted down the wall. On yeah. The stage, yes. Yes. Yeah. They're like, oh, you could have. Yeah. You could. You could yeah. You could have like a worship, you know, up there. I was like, no. That's not what this is. Yeah. Performances, maybe. Worship and sermon? No, absolutely not. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, it was, it was, it was not in the plan. It was not in the design. I think that uh, mine. Well, not in ours. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mine. Like, I think that it was just a series of like feeling, feeling the promptings. I think I've talked about this before, like the following the have to moments, right? Like you were saying, like, if you can do anything else, you know, go, go do that. Um, and I think that I think that like it's 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 just following it's just following the have tos. Too often I feel like we like and by we I mean like Christians like we like to overcomplicate like mission and mm-hmm. like like what it like what is my purpose? What is my what is my you know what is my mission? What is my place? Like, what is it that God has me to do? Like, what is the thing that I do for God that is going to be so recognizable to everybody around that, like, that is what the Lord wanted me to do? And we like overcomplicate mm-hmm. all this stuff and try and find it as if it's like, as if it's one thing. First of all, but mm-hmm. like, <clears throat> as if it's something to be, you know, to be pieced together and figured out, like. But the way that, you know, I always say it to our people is like, God is infinitely more creative than we are, right? Like, I believe that he has designed our lives in ways that as long as we're saying yes to the things that he puts in front of us and no to the things that distract us from the things that he puts in front of us, then we'll find ourselves in in the exact position God wants us to be. Yeah, it's almost like yeah, yeah. My, I'm a I'm a enneagram four, and it's like I think evangelical Christianity, if it had it, if it had like an enneagram number, it would be four. <laughs> like this moment in history, in the West, in America, evangelicals are enneagram four. Why? <laughs> oh, because it's fours are the individual. Right, Kanye says, "There's a thousand yous. There's only one, one of, me. of me." Right, that's Enneagram that Force. That, yes, yes, that's Enneagram Force. And I think, like, as evangelicals, like when we think about calling, we think about it from like this celebrity, like individualistic. Mm. Yeah, how am I gonna like stick out and point out? How am I gonna yeah. like leave my mark? 
what is my calling? And I think the better question in historic Christianity is what is our calling? Mm-hmm. Like it's a, it's a we versus an I. Mm-hmm. And the calling that God gives the we, the us, the church, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. So before we ask, like, the micro question, we have to ask, like, how are we doing with the macro calling of what Christianity, like, ultimately calls us to do? No, that's 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 big key. That, that That's a big key. Like, the start to any conversation about finding, like, calling, mission, purpose, whatever, like, the starting point of that conversation has to be your relationship with God first, right? I, I had a conversation with somebody the other day, and we were talking about how, like, some advice that uh, that, a, that a mentor and professor of ours gave me one time before we graduated, and, and I was engaged uh, at graduation. We were, Rachel and I were going to be married later that fall, and one of the things that he preached to us before we graduated was, like, always make sure that you make loving your wife a priority. He talks about how, like, even after you have kids, like, your wife is your priority because someday those kids are going to grow up, those kids are going to move on, those kids are going to have lives and families of their own, and it's going to be you and your wife. And if you spend all that time giving it to your kids, giving it to, like, whatever else, like, what are you and your wife going to talk about in 18 years when they when they leave, right? Like, it's just going to be y'all. Similar to that, like I was reading this morning in Hebrews chapter 8, it talks about um, uh, it's it's the Lord talking about like the promise of the day that that He's coming, and it says that you know what? Why, why, why try and recite it from memory? Let me just let me just look at it right here. Um, yeah, he says, he says, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. They shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. He's talking about like, there's going to be no need to teach. There's going to be no need to minister. There's going to be no need to do, to do outreach because in the day of the Lord, they those who like have known him will 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 be welcome in so like in heaven like in in eternity our it's not it's not going to be the things that we've been given our time to it's not going to be the teaching it's not going to be the preaching it's not going to be the outreach it's not going to be the hospital visits it's not going to be all those things it's going to be us and the lord and are we going to have anything to talk about when that happens so like the priority mm. Like the purpose, the our focus should be in that relationship, not in all the stuff that we're doing for the Lord. It should be in the conversations we're having with the Lord, in the relationship we have with the Lord. Yeah, man. And in the love God piece, and I think the love neighbor piece, I think we use that sometimes as an excuse to do whatever we want. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh well, this is loving my neighbor. Whatever I think is is what's going to, like, make my Instagram page jump. Well, this is <laughs> this is loving this is loving my neighbor. Right. But, yo, man, like, Clancy said the realest thing, like, there was this couple who wanted to, like, yeah, at the church we were at, they wanted to go overseas and do missions work. And, like, their presentation was dope. It was raw. Everything looked great. Their fundraising was going great. They were young and good looking. It was just like, man, 
obviously they should go <laughs> preach the like obviously they should go do that they left and this dude clancy just looked at us and he was like well i've never seen him disciple anybody here so they can't go disciple people over there Mm-hmm. What makes us think that a fundraising campaign is going to ignite discipleship in their heart if they don't do it <laughs> wow. with people who are right in front of yeah. them? And I think, like, with calling, God's not calling any of us to do anything that we aren't doing right now. Yeah. So if we care deeply about justice and we care deeply about inclusion and diversity, and our dinner table's not. Mm-hmm then, man, he's probably not calling us to, like, lead a DEI conversation. Right. Facts. And I think, like, with loving neighbor, man, there's an immediate context of loving the people who are right around you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that proximity, like, that's the life of Jesus. Yeah. With loving neighbor. Yeah. You can't say, you can't say, like, well, my mission is the neighborhood down the street when you're not treating the people in your family with that with mm. that ministry you know what i'm saying like you can't say like well i love you know i love the kids over here when you're not loving the kids that you got <laughs> right in front of you yeah the nieces and the nephews included indeed uh, you know when i look back on my life with christianity um there's so much of my life that i i realize i was blissfully ignorant to christian culture I mean, like, there's stuff that you guys have talked about that I'm like, well, I've never seen that. I've never heard that. I've never, I've never been to that. I've never. I, there's so much that my family just did not engage in. I, I grew up in a, in a business household, and my mom was a she was she took like every mathematical long term sub job <laughs> that our school had to offer. So my family went to church, and my family was Christians, but I was not immersed in that in that culture. And I remember. When I was coming back to a relationship with the church and I had met Corey, um, we were both dating other people. And I just want to clarify, we were not dating. We don't need to talk. No, no, no. I just want to clarify. We were not dating. This was not like, he was not like, (laughs) we were not in some serious relationship and he was discipling me. He was just a guy who I knew was a Christian and I knew I could ask a question to. And I just asked him, I said, what do I do? If I'm trying to be a Christian, what do I do? If I'm trying to come back to the church, what am I supposed to do? And he said to me, figure out what you're good at and do it. Do it for the church. Figure out what you're good at and do it for Jesus. And I was like, okay. And at that point in my life, I knew that I was really good at dance and cheerleading because that's what I had done my whole life. So I found an after-school program that needed a dance teacher, and I taught dance at an after-school program. And that was one of the most faithfully edifying things I have ever done in my life. And I learned more about the church and how to love the people right in front of me by being a dance teacher at an after-school program. And I just think, like, in doing that, I understand so much why when Jesus called the disciples, he said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Mm -hmm. Because they were fishermen, Mm -hmm. and they knew how to fish. 
Right. And so he, he, he didn't, he didn't say, Hey, fisherman, I'm going to teach you how to be a rabbi. No, he said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And they're like, I don't even know what that means, but that sounds amazing. And I'm gonna go do it. So I like, so I took what I knew how to do in that season. And I said, okay, I'm going to give it away. This is what I'm good at. So I'm going to give it away. And you know what? No, nobody said to me, Hey, you need to learn how to be a praise dancer. You need to learn how to dance only to worship music. I was like, you need to learn how to dance and do this, this, or this. Nobody, nobody told me to do that. They said, engage with these kids, talk about what you know, and teach them dance. And that's what I did. And then as time went on, like now, you know, 12 years later, I can't teach dance anymore. I, I have three kids. I don't have the, I don't have the same time that I did back then. So what I'm doing in this season, well, I've gone to school. I've studied theology. I've studied leadership. I have a huge passion in my heart to see all people welcomed at Jesus tables. So I invite people to my dinner table and I take what I've learned and I write because I love to write because as I said earlier, I've got a degree in communications and journalism. And so I write things to encourage the church and I write things to challenge the church and I feed people because that's what I can do in this season. My calling at 34 and what I'm doing with my time at 34 is not the same as what it was at 22 because I'm not the same as at what I was yeah. at 22 because you grow and so does what you have to offer the church. Yeah. I think I think part of part of like part of what I would want to I would want to encourage with is you know, if you're making every effort to love God and love the people right in front of you that God has already designed your life to to be around. If you're loving them well, then don't let anyone convince you that you're not doing enough. Right. Like like there's there's a there's a and I'm going to I'm going to flip this to you in a second. Like there is this like spirit of comparison that I feel like we just need to like Oof, call out yeah. one time real quick, which is like like we see we see Christians up front of our local congregations or we see Christians um you know on Instagram and we're like, "Yeah, but I'm not doing all that though." Like like yeah, like I might like bake cookies for like the kids in my neighborhood, but like I'm not on like a, a a worship video like going in, you know, like that's not like that's 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 not you, like that's not that's not where you're at right now, and I think that we have this like big lofty expectation of what calling means like of what of what like like when i know i know that i'll feel my calling i know it'll be like a bigger deal than this like i don't know that the, i don't know that that's true like maybe what you're doing right now it, as long as you're doing it unto the lord like it it is a really big deal right like so like in regards to calling like let me let me flip that to you like demystify it for us like like de like demystify that We've we've gotta we've gotta demystify it. Like we've gotta like I think we think of calling like in terms of Hogwarts where like somebody's gonna like wave a magic wand <laughs> and then like immediately like yeah hit that Patronus and then you're just gonna feel <laughs> called. Right? Right? <laughs> it's just not 
it's just you begin not, levitating. Yeah, the it, Sorting Hat puts you in Gryffindor. Yeah, it's just it's automatically not, a leader of men. Absolutely, it's just literally not that. And I think one of the greatest lies that evangelicalism is like fed us is this idea that if you're called, you're called in our context to be a pastor who preaches. If you're in a large church, you're called to be a specialist on the church staff. You can be a worship leader. You can be a missionary. Uh, that's pretty much it. Or you can be called to start a not-for-profit. That's yeah. added in there now. You can yeah. be called to start a Christian not-for-profit. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, like, if we believe that we're all created in God's image and that the Imago Dei is true, then what that means is that the giftings and talent that God has given us, that he's placed deep inside of each of us, reflects him in a unique way that no one else can reflect. So if we believe that is true, then we believe that God is is shown through us in those unique ways. Mm -hmm. Even if it's not speaking on stage, yeah. man, you may be called to, you may be really dope at numbers, man. God has called you to be dope at numbers. Be an accountant. Be on mission as an accountant. Yeah. God has called you to love him and love neighbor in that particular way. Do that. Like, man, who, pe people who deal with money need Jesus. Mm -hmm. Need Jesus. <laughs> I promise. And the reality is, man, like, as someone who's worked in, like, the church for their whole, like, yeah, the first job I've had, like, outside of the church in, like, over a decade is, like, in another Christian environment. So I can say, like, I'm not around a whole ton of non-believers. Like, if the mission is to, like, make disciples of all people, like, yeah. The gifting and talent that God has given you mm -hmm. is important, and it plays a role. Yeah. Like, it's not just you're called to be one of these few things. No, yeah. you're called to be who God created you to be. And as you do that, man, man, does the world light on fire. Man, and God gives you, like, God gives you the passion and uh, desire that you have. Like God, like, God speaks to the passions and the desires of your heart. Like, and when you've given your life over to the Lord, He transforms the passions of the desires of your heart. So if you are someone who is truly transformed and you have, you have a passion for, like, physical training... Like, well, praise God. Like, by the way, there's theology in that, right? Like mm -hmm. God doesn't God doesn't want our bodies to fall apart before before he can he can get our souls. Like, like God God wants you, like he uh Paul says Paul says our bodies are the temple, like our bodies are the dwelling place of God. He wants a nice home. Like, make your like work on work on that kind of stuff. Like there's theology in that too. And whatever your passion and desire is, like there's there's theology in that. Like there's there's God in that. Right? The things that that are discontent in your soul. Like the Lord gave you that. The 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 thing that you see that instantly like moves you to tears within seconds of seeing it or somebody mentioning it. Like that's from the Lord. Mm -hmm. And and just because it doesn't fit in the box, the package that you have been presented with on a Sunday morning, like does not mean that it can't be for the Lord. Yeah, that's really good. Absolutely. Yeah. I can just remember like, yeah, 
after I like met Jesus, like the church I was at, I can just remember like vividly, like this dude came like big shout out Frankie. He came to preach. It was a revival. It was a three day revival. <laughs> he came to preach. And at the end of the revival, like it was time for the altar call, which in the Pentecostal church, that's like, forget the sermon, forget the music. It's time for the altar call. Let's go get spooky. Let's go mystify everything. So it's the altar call and he comes up and he gets a word from the Lord. And like, you kind of know, you just know in Pentecostalism, well, this is a word or this dude is just talking. This was a word. Everybody knew it was a word. So he just comes up and he gives his word and he's like, Hey, God just gave me five more words for five people. So everyone came up to the altar cause they thought it was them. I always thought it was me. So, <laughs> I always went up when stuff like that happened and it was never me. So I go up to the altar and he just happened to come over and start praying. So I'm like, yes. And I had just been praying that whole service. Like, God, what am I supposed to do? Like, what is my role in this? Like, I'm just praying this, this whole service. I'm 19. I'm like, God, what am I called to do? What am I called to do? What am I supposed to do with my life? I'm about to go to the school and God, what am I supposed to do? So he comes over and I'm like, yes. I'm receiving this word. God's about to just tell me. He's about to just give me a very clear sentence. And I'll never forget. He just like laid his hands on me. And he's like, God's going to supernaturally position you in the positions that he puts you in. Preach the word. And that was it. And I remember leaving like super dejected. I'm like, that was the word? <laughs> to preach? I'm like, that, I'm like, that was the word? What? Man, but now years later, like, I look back on that and I'm like, it just couldn't be more true. And I think it's just a universal thing. Like, wherever God's placed you, like, be faithful. Be faithful. I, in that moment, was looking for, like, what is going to be most fruitful? Like, what's going to be fruitful? How am I going to bear fruit for God's kingdom in all these ways? When the word was be faithful. Mm. I think sometimes, like, I know in my life, like, I, like, get in cars and, and drive long distances to try to, like, ascertain fruitfulness when, yeah, God's calling me to, like, turn the engine off and just be faithful right where I'm at. And I think, yeah, I know for me, that's a lesson, like, in calling that I'm trying to learn. <laughs> lesson that I'm trying to learn. I feel like I have to learn every every 12 months. So listen, if you are hearing this and you've been asking yourself the question of like, what am I supposed to be doing? Or you have been crying out to God and saying, God, I'm trying to be faithful, but I don't know what you want me to do. Then I hope that what you hear out of our discussion today is to be faithful specifically where God has placed you, whatever it is that that looks like. If you have a if you have a desire within you to to tell everybody you know about Jesus, start by telling the people who live in your house. Start by showing the people who live in your house. If you live alone, if there's nobody nobody with you, then start by telling the people where you work. Start by showing the people who you encounter every day. Start there. Because that word that James just said, be faithful 
God is calling you to be faithful. Fruit is dependent on God. God will bring the fruit. When you look at a plant, a plant does not force fruit to grow. A plant starts with its roots, and then it pushes itself through the ground, and it aims itself toward the light, and as a result of the plant doing what it needs to do to go from being a seed to a seedling to a plant, the fruit comes later. And so let that be, let that be your encouragement. Be faithful. Drive your roots. Push yourself towards Jesus. Because fruit doesn't come overnight. It comes as a result of the process of faithfulness. Bless up. <laughs>